0: You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. You?
0: I am wonderful. What can I help you with?
1: Well, um, I one of the questions that I had was, how would my grades, as well as me transferring like twice, affect my application?
0: Um, transferring nothing for the most part, uh, grades obviously can affect your application a ton. Uh, if you don't have grades, uh, or GPA that shows that you are, um, academically qualified to, to do well in medical school, um, a a newer term that I've been using, uh, is academic risk, right? If you're an academic risk to the medical school then yeah, your grades can hurt you a lot. But typically transferring schools, there are a million reasons why students transfer and that you may get asked about it, but I, I wouldn't worry about that part.
1: Yeah, because I, um, it's kind of weird. I transferred after the fall of um, my freshman semester and then I transferred back um, recently this okay. fall. And I did speak to a couple uh, we had some conference with a doctor and I asked her and she said that it could affect my application. Yeah. yeah. I was really scared about pa- that. It's,
0: it's one of those. It's like, sure. Is it possible? Sure. Right. It's possible that whatever, right. Uh, anything could affect your application. Is it probable that it'll affect your application? No.
1: Uh, I was a little scared. Um, <laughs> I remember I have seen where you spoke about um, like getting a C in chemistry, but um, a lot of people have told me, like my advisors, they try to tell me that you can have Cs in chemistry, which I have a C in all four chemistries. Okay. And I was wondering if I should retake those or retake at least a couple of them.
0: Yeah. Meaning Gen Chem 1, Gen Chem 2, and O Chem 1, O Chem 2, or your labs?
1: Uh, my labs, I did great, Okay, it was just the lectures.
0: Okay, so so the Gen Chem series and O Chem series. Yes. Yeah, so you technically don't have to retake them, and there there may be a medical school out there that based on the the kind of algorithm that they use to pick and choose students and, and whether or not you're an academic risk or not, they may look at your Gen Chem series and your O Chem series and go, that doesn't bode well. Um, but I think there's this standard cliche of like, if you're there, there are some people out there that just really struggle with chemistry and they're really good with biology, um, or, or vice versa. Right. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, retaking them potentially shows that it was a fluke to begin with. There's obviously a risk that you still do poorly in them. um, at the end of the day, from a math standpoint, there's no difference in retaking the courses versus just taking other upper division courses to show academic ability.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I, it's just kind of hard when you're like, kind of like hearing people say different things, and you just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing, especially like with clinical hours as well. Because mm-hmm. I've worked as a patient transport, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have say that it's not clinical hours, you know, I've like worked hands on with these patients and I move patients. I, there was so many help nurses move patients and stuff. And they're just like, no, it's not clinical hours. And I'm like,
0: yeah. Yeah. So one of the more frustrating things about this process is that you ask a hundred people, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And Uh so at the end of the day, you have to Ask some trusted people, stop asking everyone everything, ask a few trusted people, uh, and and just try to put together as much information as possible to make the best decision for you. Now, if being a patient transporter is something that you enjoy doing, it works with the hours that you have available timing-wise, access-wise, whatever, great, keep doing it have i personally heard that there are some medical schools out there that don't like patient transport as clinical experience yes does that matter no because there are a lot of medical schools out there and and many of them will not have any issues with what you're doing as a patient transporter especially if you frame it around the clinical aspect of it right being able to move patients and talk to them and and support them are there patient transporter jobs that are not very clinical at all? Yeah. Ones where you're not moving patients, they're already moved and you're just pushing them or you're the discharge patient transporter where the patient, you you just wheel them from their room to the curb, right? I, I wouldn't think that's a very good clinical experience. Um, and so you, you just have to do the best you can and, and stop worrying about what everyone else is saying and uh, differing of opinions because there's, very r- rarely one right answer to anything in this process.
1: Um, I feel like you've um, had this question a lot, probably. um, I was wondering when should I take my MCAT? Because mm. right now I used your MAPD um, website, which is very helpful with knowing where I'm at with my mm. GPA and my science GPA, which on MAPD says that I have like a 2.7. Okay, And I know that's not great, but. I was just wondering, um, like, when is the best time for me to take the MCAT? I'm yeah. a junior right now, and I'm hoping to apply at the end of my senior year. But okay. if that's not possible, I'm also okay with. It.
0: Yeah. So you've used Mapped, which is great. We just say Mapped, not Map D. Uh, so you've used Mapped, uh, tracking your courses, your activities, all that for free. Um, So I'm glad you're doing that. It also has that built in roadmap there. And so if you go to your roadmap and say, hey, my, if you're a junior now, it's 2023. My assumption is you're going to graduate in 2025. Um, That May 2025 is your ideal graduation. Um, And it's. It sounds like you're saying you theoretically would apply in 2025. So waiting until you're done with your senior year, so you would start medical school in 2026. So you would go into Mapped, put estimated um, med school start year as 2026, and then it'll give you that roadmap of what that looks like, which includes taking the MCAT the beginning of 2025. So you take it about a year and a half or so before you're starting med school. So that's the ideal timeline. Now, I think where your GPA is at, I think you just need to do a bunch of calculations and figure out, okay, here's where I'm at right now, but I still have the current semester we're in, fall of 2023, right? You still have spring of 2024, fall of 2024, spring of 2025. You have four semesters right now to hopefully continue an upward trend, right? And that's getting as close to um, a 4.0 as possible for that, right? So that you can prove academic ability. And then at some point as you're nearing Um, maybe it's after the fall next year, 2024, maybe it's during your, um, or spring of 2024, maybe it's during the fall of 2024. You, you check in, where am I at? Am I getting the grades that I want to get? Is my GPA going in the right direction? Do I think I'm going to be ready to apply? Have I proven that I'm not an academic risk? And maybe that's just checking with your school advisors. Maybe that's doing a session with one of our advisors. Um, it's, it's really checking in and going, am I going to need to do some post back work? Am I going to need to delay graduation so I can just keep taking classes before I walk? Um, so that's where the, the timeline is, is flexible, right? Without kind of drawing, drawing a hard line in the sand going, this is, this is what I have to do. It's being able to, uh, to adjust as you need on the fly and go, I wanted to apply in 2025, I think I'm going to need to take some more classes. And and that's okay.
1: Right. Um, I had a question for a second, and then I just lost it. But um, I have gone to a place where I don't work as a patient transport anymore, I've kind of gotten a little more busy with um extracurriculars and research and everything i'm trying to figure out how can i get basically more hours in i kind of feel as if i don't have i don't have any shadowing right now mm-hmm. um i'm trying to get more volunteering hours because i don't have i really don't have a lot of volunteering hours I'm when you say
0: volunteer do you mean clinical or non-clinical
1: um well I will consider it non-clinical just because I'm not really, I'm just sitting with the patient. I'm not really. Being a patient I talk-
0: sitter, I, I think is, is clinical experience.
1: I just thought, okay, so can you explain clinical experience? Cause I feel like I don't have a grasp on what they mean by clinical experience.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to define, but, but ultimately clinical experience is where you are interacting with patients typically, right? Typical language. Um, uh, typically what we say, close enough to smell the patient. And that's not a judgment of the smell. It just means you're close enough to, to smell them. Um, and you th- theoretically are doing things in their care. Now, being a patient sitter, oftentimes you're just making sure that they are safe, right? Making sure they're not getting up, if they're a fall risk or whatever, right? Um, so it's, it's definitely... Probably not the best clinical experience, um, but I would consider it clinical experience. You're there, like, like a hawk taking care of that patient, making sure they're not getting up and tackling them <laughs> if they do, right? To some respect, um, and so, it, it clinical experience uh, doesn't matter where you are, right? Some people are like, well, clinical experience only counts if you're in a clinical setting. No, because hospice is fantastic clinical experience. That oftentimes happens in the patient's home, right? Um, and, and if you're a janitor, uh, and this is a real life example of a student who applied to med school who was a janitor in a hospital, he put that as clinical experience because he was in a hospital. I'm like, no, that's not clinical experience. And so I think you just, you just have to use some judgment um there are uh positions like be working the front desk at a clinic or registration in the hospital where you're the first person that the the patients interact with and you're like oh is your insurance up to date what's your home address blah 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 like that's not clinical experience that's administration that's admin work so you just have to use some judgment and and figure out what what that means and so just be careful with the word volunteer cuz volunteer can be clinical or non-clinical. And so the better language to use is just clinical or non-clinical. Clinical Clinical can be paid or volunteer. Non-clinical can be paid or volunteer, right? If you have a regular old job working at Walmart or whatever, that's non-clinical paid work. And so um, if your question is, how do I get more clinical experience? I, I don't know. You, you just get more clinical experience. You, you said you were a patient transporter. Why'd you stop?
1: Um, I had um, a research opportunity over the summer. Okay. And then I was supposed to go back, but um, the manager said that she filled the position. And so I just went on to medication reconciliation. And then okay. after that, they wanted me to get a. Um, what was it? Certification. Mm-hmm. But around that time was midterm time, midterms yep. around that time. So I couldn't do both. Yeah. Okay. So I had to leave there and then I just started focusing on just making sure I focus on school. I focus yeah. on.
0: Your number one priority is grades, period. All right. That's your priority. And then so clinical experience on top of that, uh, I, I mentioned hospice. Hospice is super flexible and allows you to. Kind of schedule things around what works for you, so I would check into that. Uh, and then there are the big ones, right? Being a scribe, being an EMT, being a medical assistant, um, all, all that good stuff. And it's just a matter of what works with your schedule and what works with certifications and training and all of that, all of that good stuff.
1: I'm currently. Um, I just got my second TB test for the hospice, hospice volunteer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they have like their own space in the hospital. Perfect. Well, over here's like Norton's. I'm, I'm really actually excited. Good. And um, for volunteering, um, I do need to work on that.
0: So again, clinical, non-clinical volunteering to non-clinical. me is okay. Non-clinical, more community service type stuff. Yes. Yeah. But
1: okay. It's like, is this really just time?
0: Yeah. Just go go spend a Saturday at the soup kitchen or something, right? Yeah, I probably should do that. I, I think we get in our own way oftentimes yeah. by thinking that these commitments have to be so grandiose and so permanent that they they kind of cause us to, to freeze and go, oh, like, I don't have the time to commit to that. Like, then don't commit. Just go on a Saturday morning and be like, hey, I'm here to hang out. And if you like it, show up again in three weeks.
1: Yeah, I kind of get that... Um I do notice that in myself where I kind of, like, get in my own head,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's just kind of hard because it's like, I am, like, it's not really excuse, really. It's like, I'm first generation, and then when it comes up to trying to find people who's willing to, like, sort of, a community, sort of, at mm-hmm. my school right now, it's kind of, like, hard because everybody has their own thought process on yeah. what is clinical, what is volunteering, what is shadowing, what's this, and I'm just, like, trying to figure everything out, and I kind of feel like I'm behind, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh you're not alone in that feeling. <laughs> I think a lot of students feel that way. Um you mentioned mapped, right? The the platform. Uh we have mapped Pro which is affordable for most people. Um it's $90 a year or $10 a month. You're here on the show. Uh I'll give you access to it for free, but that'll allow you to ask questions of our advisors so that you're not lost, right? You just go into the platform and be like, Hey, I'm really struggling with X, Y, or Z and, and need some advice. Help me out here. So I'll get you access to that.
1: Thank you so much. You're welcome. Because um, I guess I don't know how to really put it into words where it's like, how do you, like, you make it seem so easy to really just kind of just get through everything, if that makes sense. <laughs>
0: I like, make real, it seem <laughs> easy.
1: Yes, because like I was stressed on like what you would say when I came on here. I was like, maybe he's gonna say I have to push everything back. Maybe you say I'm not doing what I need to do.
0: <laughs> I I think that's just the, a normal, um, uh, just <sighs> external pressure that premeds put on themselves. Uh, external pressure, um, um inappropriately of, of needing to be perfect and it's there's just no perfect path it's where are you right now where do you want to go let's figure it out and that's why oftentimes I get in fights with advisors specifically the dream crusher advisors because they'll look at where you're at now and say you need to quit when where you're at right now is not a, a, a prediction of your potential it's just a snapshot of what you've done so far so we just need to figure out how do we go from here? And there's, again, there's no right way to do it. There's ideally showing academic ability, showing that you do want to be a doctor. Um, and and then just putting all the pieces together, just one by one by one by one. And that may mean going a little bit slower. That may mean not applying the exact year that you thought you wanted to. Um, but you just, just make one decision followed by the next. I, I used this quote the other day, uh, talking to my wife. Uh, if you've watched Frozen Two, um, it, Anna says, right when she's kind of trapped and doesn't know what to do next, she's like, "When, when there's no clear path, you just do the next right thing. That's all you got to do."
1: Right. I try to like keep that mindset, but it just hard. My body, it's hard. I'm just like, I just did this exam and I'm not doing so well. Maybe I need. To- <laughs>
0: That's hard. So, so the next right thing potentially is asking yourself, well, why didn't I do well? Was I doing too many other things? Did I go out and, and party with friends when I should have stayed home and said no? Um, do, I, do I need to go to office hours more? Do I need to find a tutor? Do I, like, those are those questions that you need to be asking yourself every step of the way. Right.
1: So, like, for MCAT... I know everybody has their own way of studying for the NCAT, mm-hmm. but what is the best way to approach that when it comes to studying for the NCAT? Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned there there's probably no best way um, mm-hmm. outside of lots of questions uh, and full length exams, right? The, the biggest mistake students make is just reading the books and going okay I've read them all I'm ready for the test I'm like no you're not all right you you have to understand the MCAT in terms of how the test is structured how the passages are written how the questions are written what they're expecting of you and so the best way is to yes get through content review but doing lots of questions through Qbanks doing lots of questions through full length exams, specifically at, le- at a minimum doing the double AMC exams. Our sponsor Blueprint MCAT have the second best exams out there. You get a free one by signing up for a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. So uh, questions, 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 and, and not just getting through a ton of them, but also uh, reviewing them and going, okay, why did I miss this one? Why did I get this one right? Did I know the content and I just made a wrong decision? Did I misinterpret the question? Like just just reviewing and doing all that fun stuff.
1: That does make a lot of sense. But I see a lot of people who go for the, like, you know, those courses where mm-hmm. they like help you basically study the MCAT. And it's like $2,000. Yeah. I'm just like, you don't do need collective. to. Yeah, I, was, I know I don't like
0: have to do those, but would you say it's beneficial? Um, I, I would say it's beneficial for the right person, for the right person that needs a little bit of accountability, that needs a little bit of structure, that wants a little bit of that extra help. Um, I, I don't think across the board you can say it's beneficial for everyone. Um, I think, uh, and I've talked to, I, I have the MCAT podcast that I do with Blueprint and one of the best ways that all of the tutors say one of the best ways to prepare for the MCAT is just using a study group, finding three other people that you go to school with or virtually and getting together and go, Okay, hey, I'm good at chem phys, you're good at bio biochem, I'm good at you're good at cars and this other person's good at PsychSoche, and you all support each other. You're a little study group, you're taking the MCAT all around the same time and you're you're helping each other through that process.
1: Yes. I also noticed, um, I've been getting emails for the, um, your, um, basically helping students get into what their application.
0: Application Academy?
1: Yes. I love Application Academy. So like, how would, so my question was, when I was looking at it, is it like only for certain cycles? Like, how would you enter into that? Because I know it says one year.
0: Yeah. So you, you typically start Application Academy um, the year that you're applying to med school. So if you're applying in 2024, you kind of start Met, uh, application academy January 2024. Um, it opens up a little bit before that. Like we were opening up next week for Black Friday, Cyber Monday stuff, and so we'll have some people in there. But it's it's um. Uh, the the majority of people start in january when it's like okay it's application season it's time to go um so if you're not applying until 2025 or 2026 whatever it is then you would look at joining then
1: all righty that makes sense i just remembered another question yep um so i was wondering when we are looking at our extracurriculars um how would we look at not how would we look at them but like How would we look at it and be like, okay, we're not going to, I'm not going to do this extracurricular because I kind of don't want to make it seem like a checklist, but Mm -hmm. just getting rid of any useless, not really, well, basically useless (laughs) extracurriculars that don't. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't really benefit that, will benefit that person Mm -hmm. or benefit their application.
0: Yeah. That's how you look at it why am I doing this thing? Am I doing it just for the application? Am I doing it because I enjoy it? Am I doing it because I think I have to? Just constantly checking in all the time. Like, am I enjoying this? No. Should I be doing, uh, right? So so as an example, um, the example I always give is like, if you're an EMT because you think that's the best clinical experience for your application, but you don't like the more kind of, Fast paced environment that being an EMT potentially can be, being a first responder, having that adrenaline rush. If you don't like that, then don't do it. Should you be getting clinical experience? Yes. But if you're miserable being an EMT, stop being an EMT and go get some different clinical experience.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I've always um, been a person who doesn't, I'm not really good at doing stuff that I don't like. (laughs) Good. Um, I did notice like a couple people around me who tend to do that. And I kind of just wondered to myself, like, there's people who see as some extracurriculars as useless. And I guess mm-hmm. I'm still in that mindset as like, check, like what, so. um, what's an example? Um, currently I'm a part of max, yep. which is a, um, just a group where we learn more about different career paths in healthcare. Yep.
0: It's Um, it's the undergraduate part of SNMA. Yeah. Yep.
1: Some people see it as um, not very much a good extracurricular, but I kind of see it as more of an opportunity for connections.
0: Perfect. So if you're doing it because you think it benefits you in terms of networking and and connections, that's the perfect reason to do it. If you're doing it only because you think it's going to help your application, that's the wrong reason to do it. Being a part of a pre-med organization, whether it's AMSA, whether it's MAPS, whether it's whatever it is, um, is useless by title. Everything comes from how it impacts you or how you impact it. Having, having uh, being a member of MAPS on your application by itself has zero impact. Great. You are a member of a pre-med club. That's the bare minimum you could do. Right. If you are an officer of that club, okay. Now we're showing some some leadership. Now we're showing some uh, kind of um, drive to do something more than the bare minimum of just being a member and showing up once a month for for meetings. Right. So that's that's how to look at everything. If you just want to be a member and you don't want to do leadership stuff but you feel like it's beneficial because you're able to network and meet people and have those connections and they bring in speakers once a month and you, you can reach out to those speakers and w- whatever that situation is. And you're like, whatever, I'm not even going to put this on my application because yeah, I'm just a member and it's not super impactful outside of how it allows me to connect with people. That's perfectly fine. So
1: with extracurriculars, does... Um time really matters because like a lot of people I know that um consistency Mm -hmm. with like these extracurriculars or leadership roles are very important Mm -hmm. but um would time really like matter or does it matter what you're basically doing is it showing leadership is it showing
0: yeah I, I think both I think I think the answer is yes and no it depends Right. There are plenty of experiences that are super impactful that you only did one day in your life. I probably wouldn't put it that as a most meaningful activity. Right. But it may still go on your application because it was impactful in some way for you. Um, but I, I, I think you can and you are overthinking every little thing. I think just big picture, right? Clinical experience consistent shadowing, consistent, grades, get get better grades. Outside of that, do the things that light your fire.
1: I do overthink a <laughs> tad bit.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the club.
1: <laughs> I just kind of just kind of see this as like a, every time I see a lot of people try to remind pre-meds, there's only a little uh, 10% or less acceptance and half you
0: guys in here wanting to get in no oh, acceptance to medical school is probably closer to 60% than 10%. So yeah, I've been stressing. Don't stress. I mean, stress, right? It's, it's hard to get into med school. Um, but if, if you look at, I, I've done some fuzzy math and if you look across the board, all three application services, just at face value, the the acceptance rate is probably closer to 50% versus the 38 or 40% that each application service typically uh, calculates out to be, right? Because the three application services don't talk to each other. So if you apply to two application services, you're rejected from all of the schools at one application service, but you get into one of the schools on the other application service, it shows as a rejection for one application service and not a rejection for the other. When in reality, it's an acceptance for both application services because you were an accepted student. You just happen to be accepted to a different school, right? And so right off the bat, there's a problem with the numbers. So um, so I did some fuzzy math looking at like some surveys on what percentage of students apply to multiple uh, application services, et cetera. So it's, it's closer to 50%. But then when you actually dive into the actual applications, there are a lot of students applying to medical school who should not be applying to medical school right now. And so when you see those applications, you're like, well, let's throw those ones out because they never had a chance, right? Not yet. I'm not saying never, just not yet. And let's throw those people out. Then it's all of a sudden, okay, it's not 50-50. It's maybe closer to 60-40, maybe 70-30, right? And, and, And you can freak out a little bit less to go, you know what? I'm academically qualified. I have a good enough MCAT score. I have the experience to show that I wanna that I want to do this. I'm applying early. You're 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 doing all of the things that each individually are setting you up for success. Your chances of success are are so much higher than the average applicant.
1: Well, I never really thought of it like that. I just thought because like usually if I just tell you, just apply to three schools, and I'm just like, you just told me 10% and now you're you told me to apply to only three schools. I don't know what you want me to do here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know where the 10% number comes from. If you look at individual medical schools, the individual acceptance rate for medical schools is super low, two to 5%, mm-hmm. right? But that's one medical school. When you look at an applicant, the applicant acceptance rate again without doing any sort of fuzzy math and stuff is is 40% ish. That makes me feel a little better. So there's a chance. There's a chance. Stop over stop overthinking. Stop overthinking. Uh, one one small thing at a time and and you'll be all right.
1: Thank you so much because I was so close to just being like What am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to just take a gap here? Like I was like my mom, she has has been going through it with me (laughs) for a while now. Yeah. Especially even coming onto here. I was just like, I'm a little nervous. I hope he doesn't say this and that. I'm gonna listen, but like I don't know what he's gonna say. I'm not mean.
0: I'm not mean, I don't bite. Um, yeah, it's baby steps.
1: um i think that's all the questions i had
0: all right well good luck to you
1: thank you so much
0: thank you so much for joining me here on ask dr gray pre-med q a did you know that we record these live on facebook at 3 p.m eastern on most weekdays search for medical school hq on facebook and like the page to be notified Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout, at medicalschoolhq.net slash group.